my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. You know, sometimes something great can come out of a terrible situation. And I'd say that's true with entrepreneurship, which is such a passion of mine. So many people right now are starting their own businesses in what some people may consider a risky environment, but actually is a great time. And I'm going to tell you why this is so much something you should think about. And where are the places in America where it's great to start a business, where not so great? We'll talk about that and later. I'll tell you something I don't love at all. The exploitation of the brave men and women who serve in our U.S. military to keep us free and to protect our country. Over and over again, there are really sleazy, disgusting people and organizations that rip off our military personnel. And I want you to have a heads up to make sure, particularly those young recruits, those young soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen, that they know, I guess you don't say airmen anymore, there must be some other term for enlisted Air Force personnel. Anyway, um, that you give them a heads up so they don't get taken. So let's talk about what I think is such a positive. People are opening businesses like crazy now. And this is awesome. It's so much easier than it used to be to either do something on the side that may eventually replace what you're doing working for some company, and then you're your own boss, or you may just keep doing work on the side. The formation of new businesses is way up by most measures, somewhere like 25% over historical numbers and people would love to have their own business they'd love to do that there's nothing like being in control of your own fate your own destiny i am a lifelong entrepreneur so obviously i have a bias this way so much i believe in what we can do for ourselves one of the things that is a secret sauce of this great nation. We have so much doubt right now about America and and our country right now. But don't forget the advantages we have with our resources, our vast size, our overall national wealth. But then our greatest wealth is within us. The people of this country who can go out with an idea and guts and start something and ultimately make money for themselves if they succeed and improve the world with the product or service, the invention, whatever it is that they have made happen. It's why America remains the place that people so badly want to get into. And so for you... As a potential entrepreneur, know that 
there are so many conditions favorable to you starting your own place. But I wanted to share with you in a detailed thing that was a deep dive research by CNBC. Where are the best places in America for you to go out and start that business? Because the economic conditions, the circumstances overall are so favorable and everybody can come up with best criteria. There are a number of factors that CNBC used, but the number one they found in the United States by their criteria, the state of North Carolina, followed by I mean, North Carolina on the Atlantic Ocean, complete opposite extreme. Second, Washington State, bordering on the Pacific. Third, Virginia. Virginia and North Carolina border each other. Colorado, which people may wonder right now because cost of living in the Denver metro area now spreading to Colorado Springs, cost of living is getting out of control. Boulder as well. This one's no surprise. Texas, fifth place. Tennessee, sixth. Nebraska, seventh. The Texas is the one that people wouldn't be surprised about with the population moving in. Utah, one of the fastest growing states in the country. Minnesota and Georgia. So think about this. The geographic dispersion, they're all over the place. Except none of the places in the Northeast made the list of best. So what are the worst places to do business in the country? Again, you'll hear these are all over the place. Mississippi, worst place to do business by the criteria that they use. Alaska, second worst. Louisiana, third worst. New Mexico, fourth worst. Hawaii, fifth worst. I'll take my chances with Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. (laughs) Hawaii is an expensive, difficult place to do business. Interestingly enough, A lot of people think that it would be places in the Northeast and California that would be on the worst places to do business list. And they're all kind of in the middle Mm. of the 50 states. But again, the top of the heap, North Carolina, Washington, and Virginia. All right. Not Washington, D.C., Washington State. Okay, we'll go to some questions now. This one's from James, who's in California. I've owned a property in San Diego for more than three years and plan to relocate to North Carolina. Would it be worth it to rent my property for the next three years and sell before I'm required to pay capital gains tax? Or should I just sell and get out of Dodge? So, okay, the housing market slowed down some. But... Uh, you're in one of the markets that's really housing short and has been so forever. The values in uh, coastal California, San Diego up the coast, are still so very high. I'd test the waters. If you can get a great price for your home now in the San Diego metro area, I'd get out of Dodge. I'd take your money and I'd run. Just my opinion. And if you do put it on the market and... Uh, because of the higher mortgage rates and people's worries about the economy, the house sits, then you've got your answer. But I would try to market it first, and then and only then would I sell. And think about this. I'm going to have to fix things up, maybe do a little paint, do things, getting it ready to put for sale. Those things will also help you if later you're like, I throw up my hands, I'm going to rent it. You have already done the things getting ready for your prospective tenant. 
This is from Claudia in Connecticut. I have a question about our HSA. My husband works for a private school and our HSA is affiliated with our local bank, earning almost nothing for interest. We've asked about transferring it to a Fidelity HSA, but his school stated that it had to stay with the local bank. That doesn't seem correct. Why bother with having the HSA as an investment if it's not earning much at all for interest? Okay, first of all, uh, they probably mean well, but they're wrong. You are able to move money what's known as a trustee to trustee transfer and you don't have to have your hsa at the terrible bank that the school private school picked and they probably don't even know about how you could have a good hsa instead of a crummy one at a bank so once a year you can do this transfer and you mentioned fidelity hsa great one uh, contact Fidelity. They'll help you with the trustee-to-trustee transfer of the money from the crummy bank to Fidelity. Okay, here's the thing. There are two different ways people use HSAs. If you're in a position to afford it, you turn it into the best tax-free account we're offered in the United States bar none, where you take the money you're able to put into the HSA account, the health savings account, and you let it grow over the decades, not using it to pay current medical bills at all. And then in retirement, it's unreal because you get a tax advantage up front putting money in an HSA. It grows tax-free and then you spend it tax-free, which makes it better than a Roth IRA, better than a traditional IRA. It's the best of each all in one account. On the other hand, if somebody truly needs the HSA money to pay current medical bills, you can't afford to invest like you would be doing in the Fidelity HSA. In that case, you leave it with the crummy bank HSA because it's just a holding pen to pay current bills. So remember, once a year, you can transfer a pile of that money over. And this is from Diane in Georgia. Is it true that you can pay off your mortgage faster if you send the monthly payment in two payments each month? Also, I pay extra principal each month. Should that be sent in two times? Diane, okay, so what you're talking about works with credit cards. Paying your credit cards, if you're running a balance on cards, paying them twice a month instead of once a month will save you a substantial amount of money over time. You'll save even more if you pay them every two weeks, every 14 days, instead of twice a month. And that's all about the fact that you end up with basically a whole extra month's payment over the course of a year doing that. And it's because interest on credit cards is figured daily. Mortgages in the United States, and maybe only in the United States, that interest is calculated on a monthly basis. So you're not getting any advantage by paying in two cycles in a month, but you are getting significant advantage from paying extra principal. So pay once a month, pay the extra principal when you send in that payment, and that will have a meaningful benefit for shortening the length of your mortgage. And up next, I got to talk about the military ripoff problem. You don't know how much it upsets me when lowlifes rip off the men and women of our U.S. military. Having had the great privilege to serve as a member of my state guard 
for almost 21 years now, going to annual training at U.S. military post bases and uh, going to uh, training sessions on U.S. military posts and bases. Something that civilians who don't have uh, military personnel who serve in their family just aren't aware there's a whole separate world at military bases outside the gates. Military personnel, if they deploy overseas to defend our freedom in a war zone, they face danger everywhere they turn. They get to a stateside post or base, and what they face is landmines for their wallets every time they go outside the gate of their base. Rip off car dealers, rip off lenders, rip off everything outside the base. Typical example of how military personnel get cheated is when they go to buy stuff and there's all kinds of places that sell things to young military personnel but they sell at very inflated prices with extremely high financing think of jewelry or anything else like that anything a young military person might want to buy maybe they're buying jewelry for a sweetheart or they're engaged or a spouse or whatever they get ripped off like nobody else anywhere and because of the way people in the military can sign papers that allow a direct taking of their paycheck that they're given by the military, uh, what often is called an allotment, there's zero risk for these ultra-high ripoff loans. Military personnel, when they go to buy a vehicle, get ripped off like no one else in the country. It is a national scandal how military personnel get ripped off even when they're trying to invest money with rip-off investment groups that charge massive commissions and fees. It's just absolutely awful. And what I want you to know, if you have a family member or friend serving, if you know someone who's a young recruit, particularly these people prey on enlisted personnel, who had the courage, the patriotism, to put their lives on the line if needed, so you and I can live in this great land in freedom. There are all these people ripping them off. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that they are aware of these horrible, horrible people and organizations that will rip them off in investing in purchasing of big things and small things and things in between. Furniture is another category where you'll see all the furniture locusts outside of a military base offering all this furniture up that may not last as long as the loan does, selling it way beyond retail with massive amounts of interest charged. Please, 
educate that young family member to be aware that the way you buy things is cash is king. Cash is king. Teach them that when they're saving for their future to do it through the TSP, the Thrift Savings Plan, that's offered to them by virtue of being a member of the U.S. military serving our great nation. TSP is the best retirement plan, hands down, anybody's got. No commissions, no crazy junk fees, nothing. Stay away from all the outsiders trying to get in their wallet, picking their pocket. It's up to us to educate these young men and women so that they can be there to serve us and we serve them and our family or our friends making sure they know how to avoid getting taken. And Krista, we've been together working for 20, almost 26 years now. Mm -hmm. How long have I you heard me? I started when I was me? three. <laughs> right. How long have we talked, have you heard me uh, talk about this military unfortunately, thing? Unfortunately, it's been going on since since I started working with you before then. So, terrible. Well, I do yeah. have a question from someone who is retired from the military from Charles in Oklahoma. He says, I'm a retired military veteran. As we are on a limited income, my wife and I often look for discounts on many of the things we purchase. For the last 20 years, that has included using a vacation club for the military to book resort vacation rentals. Usually, we have been very happy with our experiences. Last December, we purchased three certificates for discounts on their regular seven-night stays for $299 each, which represents a discount off of their regular $379 price. We have used these a few times before with great results. There are numerous resorts available at the regular price, but when we attempt to book a stay using these certificates, the availability of resorts is vastly reduced. We can book many resorts for the regular price or pay an upgrade fee of $350 or more, not including the certificate, depending upon the resort. This essentially makes the three certificates all but worthless. We feel that the certificates were advertised and sold under false pretenses. And Charles, you feel correctly because this has been a problem in the travel business again, yeah. just as long as what we were talking about with the military ripoffs. Uh, this is not particular to the fact you got it from a vacation club for military personnel. This thing with buying a voucher, a travel voucher of some kind that you're supposed to be able to exchange for a trip has been a ripoff to scam category forever. Because if you're buying one as like a voucher for a promise that you'll be able to travel somewhere at a future date, instead of for a specific date, you're in danger of being ripped off just as you are here. So right now you've got $900 tied up in these three vouchers that are worth zero pennies to you. And it is terrible circumstance. If you can be really flexible with your travel, travel weird dates, and use up these vouchers, do so and then don't ever buy them again. As far as complaining that, yes, obviously... These are always advertised and sold under false pretenses. So getting the money back, I don't know how you could because they knew up front they were selling you junk. And you were lucky prior that you were able to use them. 
they might make the excuse that travel demand is extra high right now because of the uh, revenge travel people are on from not having been able to travel in 20 and 21. Maybe there's a small kernel of truth to that. But the reality is selling these kind of travel vouchers and then not being able to use them has been a problem forever and is just a big ripoff, in my opinion. And this is from Jennifer in California. I am a 51-year-old teacher and have a 403B that I started when I was young and had fewer choices available to me. It is through a relatively high-cost provider with horrible front loads. I contributed regularly but stopped when Roth IRAs started, and I focused on maximizing that each year. Now that I have more money available to save, I'm interested in opening a 403B at Vanguard as they have much lower fees. My question is, if I opened and start contributing to a 403B at Vanguard, would I be able to roll my funds from my previous higher-cost 403B into my new one so I'm paying less fees on working at least 12 more years? Yeah, I got it. I got it. Got it. So let me, I can answer that already. Okay. So Jennifer, yes, you can take that money and you can move it in what's known as a 1035 exchange. If you talk to the 403B people at Vanguard, since you haven't contributed to this 403B in a long time, you wouldn't have any uh, back end loads you deal with. You had front end, uh, any additional surrender fees would have certainly long since ended, almost certainly. So you'll be able to move the money, free it from the ripoff 403B firm and the insurance company that's ripping you off. You'll be able to move it to the Vanguard 403B and pay fees that should be as little as one four hundredth of what they are with the insurance company 403B. And it'll be a pretty easy process to do the trustee-to-trustee transfer There's no tax owed or anything like that. Your money will just be in a 403B that's affordable and works for you instead of ripping you off. And this is from Emma in South Carolina. Unfortunately, my husband's family bought burial plots for everyone decades ago. We do not need them as we all plan to be cremated. Any thoughts on how to sell these plots? I've been unsuccessful with Craigslist. Yeah, So um, don't believe anybody who says they can sell your plot for big money or anything like that. Cemetery plots in most places in the country have become unsellable. And the reason is, is that overwhelmingly people are moving towards cremation. And looking at the trend lines about what percent of people are being cremated, it's a terrible, terrible problem for somebody who wants to get rid of a plot. So the best thing that I've recommended over the years is you donate it to, uh, as an example, we were talking about veterans earlier. You may be able to donate it to a 501c3, you know, a charitable veterans organization that will use the plot for burial for a veteran who doesn't have any resources and wishes to be buried and for whatever reason doesn't want to be in a military cemetery. Um, that's an idea. Any charitable kind of organization that would be interested in having a plot would be who you'd want because many sell- churches take them. Too. Oh, churches mm-hmm. do too. Donating to a Great. church locally. So that would be a way to do it because selling a burial plot at this point is almost unheard of because there's just flat out virtually no demand anymore. And The data I've seen shows that by 2040, that less than 10% of Americans 
are expected to be buried, the over 90% others will be cremated or some other method of disposal. There's some issues where there's other methods that people have asked us about that are supposed to be more environmentally friendly than doing cremation. So cremation is not your only alternative now versus doing a burial. And now that we've been talking about this deadly topic, (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. And please, if you're enjoying what we do, share us with your friends. If you don't enjoy what we do, share us with people you don't like. (laughs) 